This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Hall of Famer Alan Fanica, and you're listening to Ira and Clark on the Eye Test for Two. Welcome to the St. Patrick's edition of the Eye Test for Two. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Ira Kaufman. And we are Hall of Fame voters, joined as usual by our Hall of Fame producer. That would be Mr. Ian Glendon. And I mentioned St. Patrick's Day. It's not today. It's Wednesday, March 17th. But guys, it's it's never too soon to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And since I mentioned it in Washington today, actually... They're celebrating St. Fitzpatrick's Day because the Washington football team apparently has agreed to terms with free agent quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Ira, no, I don't think that solves their quarterback issues. But you know what? The good deal is it gives us one more year of Fitz magic. And that's always worth celebrating. You know, I, I still can't forget, Clark, I still can't forget the start he had with the Bucks when Winston was serving that suspension. And uh, our guest is uh, from New Orleans, and the Bucks opened that season in the Superdome and won 48-40 to 40 behind oh, Fitz wow. Magic, And it was fabulous. He outdueled Drew Brees in the Superdome week one. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, yes, Deshaun Jackson, actually caught a couple of touchdown passes. And, you know, Clark, funny enough, Deshaun Jackson had a lot more production as a Buccaneer with Ryan Fitzpatrick than he had with Jameis Winston. They just couldn't get on the same page with Winston. Well, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, first of all, a special guest is Jeff Duncan, who we're going to get to in just a few minutes. You mentioned Drew Brees, too. We're going to be speaking to Jeff Duncan, who's a Hall of Fame voter and uh, a columnist for The Athletic, but we're going to be speaking to him about Drew Brees. But before we get there, uh, Ian and Ira, I want to bring you both in on what's going on with free agency because it's craziness out there. And Ira, there's a, there's a flurry of activity in this legal tampering period, which leads you to believe that, uh, you know what, <laughs> there was a lot of illegal tampering going on. So what, what has your attention? What's got your attention? Well, first, uh, I, I can't believe that uh, Ian Glendon, one of the great Patriots fans, just received an email from Belichick asking him if he can borrow uh, $500. <laughs> there's another free agent out there that he wants to sign. But closer to home, Clark, and Ian will back me up. I mean, Buck fans could not ask for a better start. Uh, You know, there were eight big free agents, but really there were three. Three. And they're all back. Barrett, Godwin, David. Right. They're all back. And and who do we have to thank? Mr. Tom Brady for that restructure because they don't get Barrett back without that Brady restructure. And, you know, that Brady effect. Clark, it's it's everywhere. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah, that's right. I agree with you. And, and Gronk came back as well. And Ian, I'll ask you, since you are a our local Patriot honk here, um, they signed or signed, agreed to six players yesterday. And this morning, Hunter Henry goes there. They get the two top tight ends in the business. This is a franchise that throws money around like landmines. I mean, they're like they just don't do it. They just don't do it. And and yet they're spending freely here. 
what's this all about? What do you think? Is this the, is this the Tom Brady effect? As Ira mentioned, like their response to Tom Brady, are you okay? We're going to get back and start competing for a Super Bowl. <laughs> well, well, I think it kind of uh, uh, puts to bed that whole notion that no one wants to come play for the Patriots anymore because it seems like a lot of teams or a lot of players want to come play for the Patriots. Uh, you know, m- money talks, of course, but, uh, you know, this this was a team that had a lot of money um, and mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity because of the cap situation and, and what other teams were facing. Um, so, again, I think the Patriots identified uh, who they wanted, I think it was Matthew Judon who said, um, I didn't choose them, they chose me. And that, that tells right. me that, kind of like what you said, there was there was a lot of work done prior to the opening of, like I said, the quote-unquote legal tampering uh, period. And, um, you know, the Patriots had a plan, and it looks like they, they're they executing it. And, uh, you know, I think they're also making it so Cam Newton has a good opportunity to succeed because when he played his best, he was throwing to big wide receivers and mm-hmm. tight ends and Greg Olson. Now you got two right in the middle and some pretty good talent now, complimentary talent on the outside. Well, you answered my next question. I want to make this short because I do want to get to Jeff Duncan. Um, and that's, you, you side two wide receiver, or you agreed to two wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar and Bourne. You get two tight ends, the two top tight ends in the business. You got a quarterback who's bouncing passes to receivers. I mean, uh, I don't know what's going on there in terms of what they believe they can get from Cam Newton and what they saw last year that gives them confidence that he could suddenly become a passing quarterback? Uh, you know, I, I think they have to have some faith in, in having a real offseason. Um, you know, he, he dealt with a, a pretty unfortunate case. Obviously, catching COVID in the middle of the season really hurt this team, not only him, but the entire team in general. Um, I still have my questions about it, but I, I think right now it, it's on cam now. They've done everything mm-hmm. to put the right players around him. We're assuming that there's going to be a, a traditional training camp and, and preseason. It gives him more of an opportunity. Um, his teammates love him. He's got to perform on the field. I, I think he'll be better. I don't expect him to be Tom Brady. I mean, who is? But I also expect him to be a little bit more efficient than he was a year ago. Yeah, I would hope he'd be a lot more efficient, to be honest with you. Um, well, another guy that I was going to ask you about was Jameis Winston, who just re-signed with the New Orleans Saints. But why ask you guys? Well, let's go to the expert, all right? We've got, right. We, we've got Jeff Duncan here, who's a Hall of Fame voter, and he is a columnist for The Athletic, and he joins us today from New Orleans. And Jeff, I want to, first of all, thank you for joining us. And secondly, uh, wish you congratulations or say, send my congratulations to you because in five years, you get to present Drew Brees with a five second introduction. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that, Clark. And look, it's <laughs> fitting to be here. Uh, you just mentioned St. Patrick's Day, right? I yeah. can talk about the Saints. We'll talk about St. Drew as he's known down here. And I think you guys know as well as anybody his impact on the community down here uh, extends beyond the football field. And uh, I'm not sure I'm ever going to cover. I'm pretty sure I'm never going to cover another player like him that transcended football uh, the way Drew Brees did here in New Orleans. Are, are you and Saints fans already going through Drew, Drew Brees withdrawal? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I, my running path here in New Orleans, I live right in a, an area called the uptown neighborhood of New Orleans mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not far from actually Breeze, uh, where where he and Brittany live. They live about a, a mile as the crow flies on the other side of Ottoman Park. So I run along a path that goes near his house. And I thought last night, I thought, you know, I'm going to peel by and see if fans here, because this is how New Orleanians are. Uh, they know where he lives, but they leave him alone. It's not like it's in a big gated community or anything. It's right in the regular neighborhood. And I wanted to see if maybe fans had put up some signs or something at his house. 
And sure enough, there weren't any signs on his gate or his fence like normally, but people had put up, you know, those kind of like campaign yard yard signs you see during election. Mm -hmm. They have all along his street in every yard a thank you, Drew kind of oh. campaign sign for two blocks. All the neighbors put it up. So he sees it now when he goes uh, past their house. That kind of explains Drew Brees' impact on the community. We see those signs when we go down to Tampa. They're, they're outside of Ira's house. Thank you, Ira. Thank you, Sage. <laughs> That's the impact he's had on that community. Hey, um, let, let's, just, let's just go to the burning question of the day. He's gone. Who takes his place? Is it Taysom Hill? Is it Jameis Winston? Is it both? Uh, I think it's going to be both, but I think Jameis is going to end up winning that job. And I can't wait to get Ira's input on this because, you know, I covered Jameis obviously twice a year when he would come here and I was always a little dubious of him, you know, fitting into this New Orleans offense. I mean, coming on the heels of Drew Brees, who was so protective of the football and and a guy that just always made really smart decisions. And all the years when I covered Winston, uh, I always thought, well, eventually he's going to make one of those just, you know, backbreaking mistakes that cost his team the game. And those are the things that Drew Brees didn't do. So I'm interested to see how this plays out here in a more, little bit more probably quarterback-friendly offense with Sean Payton and to see if he can resurrect his career because I think you all would both agree uh, this is a really critical period for Jameis Winston in his NFL career. I mean, he kind of washed out in Tampa. They moved on, and now he's here with one of the best offensive minds in the game with a roster that has – this is – let's not discount this. They have 11 players that were pro bowlers or all pros on the roster. And that doesn't include Drew Brees. So he's got, unlike last year in New England, when Tom Brady left and Cam Newton had a kind of a, a roster that had been depleted, this is a playoff caliber roster. So there really won't be any excuses for Jameis Winston. You know, Jeff, uh, I'm going to show a little more class than Clark Judge, and I'm going to plug your book, Mr. That's Duncan, that's because I do, do my it. research. <laughs> um, and thanks for doing this, by the way, Jeff, for your time. But Jeff did a book on the relationship uh, between Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees. Uh, very interesting book. And Jeff, I do my research. And out of those 15 years together, I believe 10 out of the 15, they were a top five scoring offense. Forget about the yards. It's about the points. Right. And Jeff, talk a little bit about how much cooperation you got from uh, Payton. Uh, he's not known to be, uh, you know, overly uh, outgoing with the press and, uh, and talk about the relationship between those two. Have we ever seen anything like that on the pro football scale? Well, both those guys were extremely cooperative when I presented the book idea to them. I think they both saw it. I mean, they're both – one thing I'd say about both of them is they are uh, historians of the game. They appreciate the history, and I think they saw it as part of their legacy. So I think they both were interested in cooperating. So I got a lot of great access – when we could cobble it together, because as you know, once the season starts, it's hard to get with these guys once they get in game plan mode. So we did a lot of it the summer before last season uh, meeting and having interviews. And I think the thing that, that distinguished the Peyton Breeze relationship was the fact that Sean Payton played quarterback. I don't know if we've ever seen that. You guys might have a better knowledge of that than myself, but I just can't think of any great quarterback like a Breeze that was paired with a coach that also played quarterback. So if you talk to all the teammates, the coaches about these two men and the relationship, like I did for this book, they all mention how Sean Payton saw the game through a quarterback's eyes and drew Brees 
Luke McCown said Drew Brees thought like a coach more than any teammate he was ever with, more than any quarterback he ever played with. And I think that was unique because they had this kind of symbiotic relationship and viewed the game very much the same way. So Sean Payton could appreciate the challenges that a quarterback has to go through because he was a great quarterback in college. And uh, I think that's also something that's going to give the Saints a little bit of a leg up compared to some of their predecessors who lost Hall of Fame level quarterbacks and were trying to replace them and ended up kind of wandering the desert. I think the Saints have a little bit of an advantage there because they have a coach who, who played it and understands the importance of the position. Jeff, I want to ask you a little bit about the state of the Saints. Now, look, I agree it's a talent-laden roster, no question. However, Jeff, uh, you lose Hendrickson, you lose Breeze. I don't know what's going on with Michael Thomas, you tell me. Um, you know, I know he was hurt last year, but he wasn't particularly effective when he played either. Um, and it seems, Jeff, it seems like the dynamic has shifted uh, in Tampa's favor. Um, and that's hard to believe considering Jeff week nine and you saw it. I mean, those two teams didn't belong on the same field. The Bucks were absolutely humiliated by New Orleans. The Saints won the division four years in a row, Jeff. But having said that, it seems like uh, the ground is shifting a little bit in the NFC South. I don't think there's any doubt, Ira. I mean, it wasn't just those two guys you mentioned. I mean, they had to make a lot of cap cuts because of their salary cap limitations. Uh, look, they were all in, and I think it was smart. That's what you do when you have a, a window of opportunity like the Saints had with Drew Brees in his 40s. You got to go for it, and they did, and they paid the price cap-wise this offseason, and they knew that was going to happen once the day of reckoning came. And so they're, they're going to be missing Janoris Jenkins. Uh, you mentioned Trey Hendrickson, uh, also Malcolm Brown, Sheldon Rankins, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, a lot of key players, Jerry Cook, Josh Hill, both tight ends. So this team is not going to be nearly as powerful or as talented as it was a year ago. I think they're going through that inevitable transition after you have a, a, a run like they did, but they still have that core from the 2017 draft class, uh, which is one of the greatest in NFL history. I mean, Alvin Kamara, Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, uh, Hendrickson was in that class. They just franchised Marcus Williams from that same class. And that's what's going to carry them. But I agree 100%. I think Tampa clearly is the team to beat in the division. But I do think the Saints can be competitive with that roster. Uh, they're not as deep as they've been. I think they're going to hang their hat also, guys, on, on Jeff Ireland, who's, who's really responsible for their drafting. And they've been a different organization since he came here and handled the draft and oversaw that. Their college scouting is excellent. And I think they know they need some cheap labor now. Uh, because of their cap situation. So they're going to have to hit on some of these draft picks coming up. We're with Hall of Fame voter Jeff Duncan of The Athletic from New Orleans. And Jeff, just to get uh, back to what you just said about Jeff Ireland, you said they're a different organization with him. How so? Well, he's just an amazing talent evaluator. I mean, that we talked about that 2017 draft class. But, I mean, before that, uh, Mike Thomas, who's an all-pro receiver, they got him in the second round. There were five receivers taken ahead of him in round one. And I think it's, he's clearly the best one in that group. Alvin Kamara was a third-round draft pick. Uh, you know, just incredible strike rate on his uh, drafting. And I think what's really been key is he came from the Bill Parcells school. Uh, you know, he, he learned under him in Dallas. So he and Sean Payton very much have the same vision. I think that's so critical when you have the personnel department and the coaching staff on the same page. And 
that's not always the case. And since he's come on here, he's done a great job of really marrying up the vision for both sides of the ball with what the coaches want and the systems they're running. And since then, they really haven't had – they've had one bad draft since he came here. And I think we'll see maybe a little bit of change in philosophy. The Saints have always kind of been all in. They, they historically have traded up to get targets. I think they've done that because they knew they had a window of opportunity with Drew Brees. It wouldn't surprise me to see them change that philosophy now in the draft. Now that they're going through a little bit of a different period, maybe they trade down a few more times and get, gather picks the way the Patriots have done for so long and take advantage of Jeff Ireland's acumen in the draft and his, and his high strike rate. Could you see them drafting a quarterback? Yes, I could easily see that happen. If they fall in love with one. I mean, Sean Payton almost drafted Patrick Mahomes. I mean, people, that story's been told now, but I mean, he was in love with Patrick Mahomes and they would have taken him if the Bills would not have traded with Kansas City ahead of him. And uh, if the Bills might have taken Marshawn Lattimore, Mm -hmm. then I very much think Patrick Mahomes might have been in New Orleans. It would have been a completely different story, a different league right now. Jeff, a little bit more on Jameis Winston. Uh, Jeff, I've said this before, and I can't prove it, but, you know, two years ago, Jeff, the Bucks, the Bucks were, um, you know, seven and seven. They had a four-game winning streak, and they had two home games left, and Atlanta and Houston, you know, not elite teams. And, and Winston threw six picks, Jeff, in those two games. They lost both of them including that brutal ending in overtime, that first pat, first snap of overtime, pick six. And, Jeff, I, I think at that point, Arians had it. I mean, I think if he wins those two games and plays pretty well, I think he's back with the Bucks. I mean, they're 9-7 and seven with a six-game winning streak uh, in Arians' first year with them. So I, I think that was the death knell for Winston, and he started looking, you know, to door number two and Tom Brady. Jeff, the knock on Winston, and you know this, is under duress – under duress, he, he's not going to throw it away and live another day, which Breeze will, the great ones will, Brady will. He's going to try to throw it through a window, and most of the time he pays a price. How is, how's that going to work with Peyton? How's Peyton going to work on him with the mental approach to the game? Don't try to win the game by yourself. I agree 100%. That's why I kind of, I'm so skeptical right now. I'm in total prove-it-to-me mode with Jameis Winston. Uh, I will say this, and I'm sure you heard this as well, Ira, in Tampa. I have not heard one negative word about Jameis Winston since he's been here. Behind closed doors, everybody loves him. Uh, Coaches rave about him. Uh, But again, we're in a honeymoon period, right? I mean, I heard some of the same things about Cam Newton last year when he went to New England that, uh, you know, he was going to get involved with the Patriot way and things were going to change, and he looked a a lot like the same quarterback to me that he did in Carolina. So I'm I'm kind of not convinced that the quarterback whispering is going to work uh, when it comes down to exactly what you're saying. The pressure in those, you know, those frantic seconds when you have to make those split-second decisions, that was what Drew Brees was so brilliant at. I mean, he could process information so quickly and make those smart decisions. Can Jameis Winston do it? I can't reconcile the two things I'm hearing about how much they like him, how much of a great leader he is, and just how poorly he's played sometimes with those backbreaking decisions. So that's why I'm really I'm fascinated to see how it plays out because if somehow Sean Payton can put him maybe in a little bit more of a quarterback-friendly offense that has some more check downs and things that maybe Bruce Arians didn't have. I'm not saying he did, but, uh, you know, historically Bruce Arians' quarterbacks have had high interception rates. 
if that happens here, I think it's going to be a feather in Sean Payton's cap as a head coach, because right now all we know is him with Drew Brees, who's obviously one of the all-time greats. Jeff, um, thanks for doing this. One, one more from me, Jeff. Um, specifically about Sean Payton, Jeff, and, and, and we're Hall of Fame voters. I, I don't think he's there. I don't think he's there. But I don't think it's crazy that he's going to get there, at least under consideration. Jeff, the, the guy averages 10 wins, Jeff. Now, he had Drew Brees. But, Jeff, what, what if in the next five years, you know, the, the Saints are very competitive? Um, he's had some tough playoff losses, no question about it. But he's won a Super Bowl. Jeff, is it crazy that we could in 10 years be talking about Sean Payton uh, when we sit down uh, to discuss Canton possibilities? I think you have to. And I, I think the, the distinguishing part of his story, along with Drew Brees, is what the organization was like before these two guys got here. I mean, I think we have to remember this, this wasn't title town in Green Bay, uh, you know, when Brett Favre came in or or Aaron Rodgers. I mean, this franchise had no tradition of success. They In four decades before Brees and Peyton got there, they'd won two division titles and one playoff game. One, you know, four decades. They had one quarterback, Archie Manning, make one Pro Bowl. And all of a sudden, you know, these two guys come in, they change the culture, they change the perception, the image. The Saints are one of the most popular teams in the NFL, one of the most successful teams. The last four years, they've been the most successful team in the NFL, at least during the regular season. They've won seven division titles. So I think we have to look at that body of work that the organization he came into, this is the second smallest and poorest market in the NFL. They're not loaded with, uh, you know, revenues the way Jerry Jones and Dallas is. I mean, they're having to cobble together, uh, you know, season ticket plans to get people. Now they're extremely popular, but one of their executives says we have a Walmart crowd here. And, and that's the truth. I mean, it's not a rich city. So I think all those things make this a, a challenge that he took on and, and make it a little different than say some of the other uh, rebuilding plans we've seen around the league. And, and look, things could have been different. And Sean Payton has to own this defensively. They weren't right for many of those breeze years. I mean, I think about it right now, guys. They lost in San Francisco in that brilliant game, 2011. They lost to Minnesota Miracle. We all know what happened there in, in 17. And then in 18, the Nola no call. All three of those games, Breeze drove them to the lead with less than a minute and a half left. And they the defense couldn't make a stop and get off the field. So their legacy might be different if one of those games might have gone the other way. Hey, Jeff, you heard us talking to Ian Glendon earlier about the Patriots' travails last year. They struggled, uh, didn't make the playoffs. Is it fair to assume that that's what we're going to be looking at this year with the Saints? And if it's not, is the pressure more on the head coach, Sean Payton, or is it on the quarterback, Jameis Winston? Uh, I think it's squarely on Winston, assuming he's going to beat out Taysom Hill. Uh, Because this roster is still talented enough, like I said, they're going to have 11 – Pro Bowl caliber like players on this roster. So I think it's a better roster than what Cam Newton inherited in New England. But I think the division is going to be interesting. I mean, Tampa Bay is the kingpin. There's no doubt about it. They deserve their Super Bowl champions. They deserve that mantle. Uh, but I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Carolina because I don't think uh, Matt Rule and David Tepper are going to sit idly. I think they're going to be very aggressive. I think they're going to be a factor in the NFL going forward under Tepper. And I think you have a new regime in Atlanta. And I think they, I know Terry Fontenot really well. I think they're going to be a factor down the road too. So it's not going to be as easy as I think it's been because the Saints aren't as talented 
Mm -hmm. uh, that's one thing. They're coming back to the pack. We know how the NFL business model works. Everything's like an anchor around your neck when you're up at the top right. from the, you know, the salary cap to the, to the scheduling, it all pulls you back to the pack. And that's what's happening to the saints right now. It's like a gravitational pull. I think they'll be competitive, but I think they'll be like a nine and seven kind of team. It reminds me when I first started covering the NFL, Jeff Fisher told me, you want your down years to be seven and nine. You want those transition years to be, you know, that's the bottom, the ceiling. I mean, the floor, that way you're still relevant late in the season and playing games that matter. And I think that's what we could see with the saints here, at least in the next, uh, the near future. Yeah. And that's what was so remarkable about Ian Glendon's Patriots. They had no down years when Tom Brady was behind center. Right. A couple last ones for you about Drew Brees. Uh, one is what's your favorite Drew Brees memory? Man, I've got so many of them, Clark. I, I think my greatest memory of him uh, besides the on-field heroics, I mean, who could forget him breaking uh, Peyton Manning's record on Monday Night Football against the Redskins with a 61-yard touchdown pass. That's right. what broke the record. Uh, wow. You know, amazing. And and talking to Sean Payton about it, I mean, that ball that went to Traquan Smith, he said Traquan Smith is running a what they call a bus ticket route. It's a route – the reason they give it a bus ticket route, call it that, is the route is never designed to get the ball, ever. He said wow. in, in the decade he played there, he thinks he, they only threw the ball to that position – or that route one time because he's like the fifth option of the five options. But Breeze saw it and saw that Josh Norman played it wrong, and he just instinctively knew where the cornerback had made the wrong move and threw it out there. I mean, it kind of, uh, you know, epitomized Drew Breeze's brilliance. But more than that, as, as jour longtime journalists like you all, you can appreciate, when you have a superstar like this, a guy that is on that level and you know everybody's pulling on him, he never missed a press briefing once. Those Wednesday press briefings was there religiously every week, lo you know, losing or winning. He was there standing up, facing the music, was always cordial, never talked down to reporters, uh, was always putting things into context for the casual fan. I mean, he was just so good to deal with as a professional. And that's what I'm going to miss about him was just, you know, it's gotten harder and harder the more coverage and the more pressure on these players and he never, ever let it, uh, you know, show. So I'm going to miss that professionalism more than anything else of dealing with him on a daily basis. Yeah, that's remarkable for any quarterback today, I think, to give you that kind of accessibility. You know, we have uh, bus ticket routes on this show as well for Ira and me, and you don't want to know what they are. <laughs> you those out all the time. Um, hey, last uh, word hey, Clark, Clark I, I got one quick one. One quick one before you finish up. Yeah, um, sure. Jeff, any chatter at all? Uh, about a new stadium in, in New Orleans. Any chatter? No, actually, no. They're, they're, they need one, but they just don't have the money, Ira. I mean, they're putting 100, uh, $450 million into the stadium, into the Superdome. Oh. Uh, this is the third uh, three-phase renovation, all in preparation for the Super Bowl here in 2025. And so that's they're just going to try and make it keep modernizing and uh, patching it up. But one thing they are doing, though, you, you'll appreciate this, they're actually going to have a new visiting team locker room in this next phase. I mean, it was so outdated. And the league finally said, we've got to have a better locker room. So that is going to be fixed by next season. Do you think by the time they have the Super Bowl at the Superdome that there's going to be a Drew Brees statue outside? I do. Yeah, I'll be shocked if there's not. And, and I tweeted the other day that, you know, this organization's never retired a jersey ever. I mean, they unofficially wow. have retired number eight, which was Archie Manning's. Yeah. And that was only through the longtime 
equipment manager, uh, you know, who, who basically said, I'm never going to issue it to another player. Dan Simmons, uh, chief, said it's unofficially retired here. But they've never done it. And they've always kind of given me this him and haw answer when I've asked some of the executives. They say the league frowns on this because they don't want too many numbers, uh, you know, being banned, if you will, or, or retired, and then right. they can't field a roster. Uh, but the Saints have none. So I think they could do away with, uh, you know, do away with the, the number nine jersey because no one should ever wear that here. And, and last one for you. I mean, you're a Hall of Fame voter. Uh, you've been on that board for a long time. You know what it takes to get in there. And you know the people who have been inducted. Where in your mind does Drew Brees stand among the all-time quarterbacks? Uh, I know we're talking about different eras. I mean, they're the Boz, they're the um, uh, Grams, Unitas, but then in the Super Bowl era. So I don't know if you want to limit it to the Super Bowl era, if you want to go overall, but where does he rank in your mind in terms of the all-time quarterbacks? Well, I think he's right up at the very top. I mean, as pure as just being a pure passer, I mean, his numbers, I think he's going to go down in history as the, most accurate quarterback of all time. I mean, he changed the efficiency of the quarterback position in his era. I mean, now the standard is 70% completion rate and uh, it used to be, you know, over 50 and then 60, it kind of climbed. But I think Drew Brees' accuracy and his leadership, all the things that he brought to the position. Uh, look, he only won one Super Bowl. And we In that room, you know how much, how much weight that carries. Yeah. But again, I just think some of that was out of his hands as a quarterback. You know, he had, he elevated this franchise. I mean, the worst team they ever had was seven and nine. They never had a bottom out three and 13 year with him. I think only because of his brilliance. So I think obviously Tom Brady is the goat. There's no argument in my mind now with what he did in Tampa, but I think Drew Brees belongs in that conversation right below him. And I think it was criminal, frankly, that he wasn't on the, NFL 100 team I mean 10 quarterbacks made the list and he's the all-time leading passer and I mentioned all the things that he did to raise the bar here on a franchise that just was at the bottom of the I mean the Saints were known as the NFL films follies content provider right they were the, <laughs> that's right they, that's what they did here they they the were Aints. like the they were the blooper yeah the, the Aints and and now they're like one of the most high-profile, respected organizations. And, and you all mentioned earlier the Tom Brady effect. Ira, you're seeing it in, in Tampa. That's what Breeze did here. No one, no free agents wanted to come here. And now you get good coaches that wanted to come here when he was here, great players wanting to play with him, taking less money. That stuff matters. And, and that's why the Saints have been so good for this decade and a half is because of one guy, really, Drew Breeze. Jeff Duncan, thanks for the Jeff Duncan effect on this program. Really appreciate it. Thanks for the time. And you know what? When you present Drew Breeze to the board in 20. 20- 26. Ira has volunteered to help you with that presentation. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll hold the chair open so he can sit back down. Uh, yeah. I'm going to do the, JD. The, the Mike Chapel uh, mic drop. Then I'll, I'll walk off. Jeff, thanks, thanks Jeff. so much. That was, yeah, that was guys, fun. Thanks for having me on. I loved it. You got it. That was Hall of Fame voter Jeff Duncan, who's a columnist with The Athletic. And Ira, I'll ask you the same question. Drew Brees. Where is he on your all-time list? I think we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, uh, Clark, I, I do that show with, with the Mad Dog, and, and, and he asked me about Breeze, and I said, I think he's top 10, and he thought I was crazy. Now, you may not agree, um, but it's not crazy. Uh, he's not number 37. Um, I think he is the most accurate passer this league has ever seen. I think that's his calling card. So, you know, Clark, he, is, is he above Brady? No. Is he above Manning? I would probably say no. Is he above Rodgers? 
Is he above Aaron Rodgers? I think he's had a better career than Aaron Rodgers. Ooh. I think he's had a better career. Is he better than Roethlisberger? Yes. Okay. I think he is. Okay. I do. I All think right. he is. Um, um, and take it from the guy who saw him uh, every, every day. Yeah. Take it from that guy. Yeah. And Jeff's not a fan. He's not one of these fans. He, he, you know, he's got an astute eye. He's a fan of this program, Ira. Yes, he is. As he should be. <laughs> As he should be. Hey, Ira, any final thoughts? Yeah, I want to get back to somebody you mentioned, Clark, right at the start. Yep. And I think he's worth uh, another couple of cents. Ryan Fitzpatrick Clark. This is his ninth team. Ninth organization. He's with the Washington football team. And he's entering his 17th season. Now, Clark, that is not bad for a seventh-round pick out of Harvard. It's not too shabby. Um, and here's my final thought on Ryan Fitzpatrick. And, and when I saw this, I, I really couldn't believe it, Clark. He's never been in a postseason game. Whoa. He's never taken a snap in a postseason game. And he's entering his 17th NFL year. That is remarkable. I think he's one of the great backups, Clark, but I don't want him playing 12 games. He's a backup and a real good one. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And he's also, he was one and one versus Dartmouth at Harvard. So guys, speaking to a guy from Dartmouth, I'm glad to point that out to you. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it for today, but we're going to be back tomorrow to take a deep dive into free agency with Ian Glendon again. Um, but we're also going to have a special guest. And I'd tell you now, except, you know what, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it. So tune in tomorrow to the eye test for two. What a cliffhanger. What a cliffhanger. It is a cliffhanger. Are you going to guess? No, don't guess. Tune in tomorrow to find out. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening.